All right. If, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to the book of Nehemiah, chapter uh, 2. Last week we uh, talked about a brokenness and crying out to God, what it looked like, what it felt like for our first response to be God, not other things. Remember we said not strategy, not programs, but for our first response when we see brokenness or when we feel brokenness is to cry out to God, the very first response. Now, what I want you to see uh, from Nehemiah, if you're in Nehemiah 1, as we transition from Nehemiah 1 to Nehemiah 2, Nehemiah is kind of in this four-month, about four-month period of just brokenness or several months of brokenness. He's praying, right? He's going before the Lord. He's fasting. And we're going to pick up in Nehemiah 2. I'm going to read you a few verses, and then we're going to walk through it together. Let's start at 1 through 8. So in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should my face be, why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? Isn't it a wise king? Nehemiah is like, well, shouldn't I be sad, my, my the king? And the king's like, what, what, are you, what are you getting at, Nehemiah? What are you really, I, I love to see his personality coming through the text. What are, you, what are you really asking here? He says, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, with the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? Remember I said yesterday that to be a cup, or last Sunday, to be a cupbearer, to be Nehemiah, you were a pretty bad dude, right? You were the guy that was drinking the wine before the king to make sure it wasn't poisoned. You were the one eating the food, and if you didn't kill over, he got the bowl of chili. You know what I'm saying? Like, that was kind of his job and where he was. So the king, you can see the king's love for Nehemiah. This. He's like, well, how long will you be gone? Like, how, you know, when will you be coming? When will you be gone? Why are you sad, bro? That's basically his, his conversation because to be that, in that kind of position, you had to be friends. You had to be close. The king, every time he ate, he was trusting Nehemiah with his life. So he says, how long will you be gone? And when will you be coming back? And then he said this. He said, so it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I want you to catch, to catch seven and eight with me. Don't miss this. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's force, that, I may give, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. I want you to see this. I love this transition. Nehemiah starts out with the king afraid, right? He says, the king looked at me. He saw my face was sad. I was kind of, you know, the king said, hey, what's wrong? And automatically I was afraid. But then I, I told the king, and I love this. He transitions from being afraid of the king to being like, hey, since you're going to let me go, why don't you kind of fund my trip? 
You know what I'm saying? He, and I love this because I want you to see in a minute the gospel implications of this. There are so many times that we stand in the presence of God, that we have access to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we so often come before the throne of God or the presence of God afraid and dejected like we're still the rejected nobodies, still the strangers and the foreigners. We forget that we're sons and daughters with access to the king's table. And, and Nehemiah, he sees that there's love for him from the king. So he says, hey, by the way, like, since you're going to let me go, could you give me what I need? I want you to see that gospel implication for your own life this morning. When you stand before the king, of course there's immediate fear. I mean, he's God, right? He's the God of creation with all power who could have wiped us out, could have blown us up in our sin. But instead, he loves us, he redeems us, he forgives us, and oftentimes he gives us exactly what we need. We are the ones who often fail to ask. We come to an impasse in life or we walk to us through a situation or we're in a situation in life. And like I said last week, we try to figure out all these other ways. But what if we really did just go to the king? What if, we, what if we really did? I mean, you think about all these months. And I wonder if there was ever a period in Nehemiah's life where he was like, man, I was sad for like six months. And I could have just went to the king day one, right? What about our lives? How many times do we carry burdens and do we, do we carry weight? Do we carry shame? Do we carry sin? And, and to later on in life come to realize that we really had the ability all the time to take it to the king. He wasn't going to reject us. He wasn't going to send us off. He was going to give us exactly what we need for our journey. Sometimes that doesn't look like what we ask for, but it's what we need. You hear me this morning? Sometimes he doesn't give us everything we ask for, but he gives us exactly what what we need. I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this phrase, and I want you to see this in Nehemiah's life. A brokenness always precedes a boldness to spend ourselves for kingdom work. I want you to hear this. A brokenness will precede a boldness to spend ourselves for kingdom work. You think about it. Why was there fear in Nehemiah's heart? Well, the king had the power to be like, I don't want no sad dude in my presence, you know, to the stocks or whatever. You know, I'm not really... He could have. He, he, get him out of my presence, man. I want, I want joyful people around me. I don't want this sad dude. Bring me another cupbearer. But he was broken over his people. When we become broken about the situations in our lives and the situations around us and, and, and the, the, really the spiritual darkness in our city and across the world, when we become broken, that brokenness will precede a boldness. We will know that we've been broken over sin in the world and we will know we've been broken by injustice when we stand up and find the boldness to do something about it. When we get the courage to cry out for the walls. I want you to hear this. A boldness to lay it all on the line. I want you to see this in Nehemiah's life. He really had a mentality. He was at the point to where he was like, well, I'm afraid, but I'm going to say this to the king. And he really had a though you slay me kind of mentality. I want something to change. He looked at the situation of Jerusalem. He wanted it to change. He was the kind of leader who didn't just talk about changing the walls. Man, our generation, I'll, just, I'll be very honest with you, I'm that guy sometimes who we're really good at writing books and we're really good at writing blogs and people are really, really good and cool behind a computer and they can type all kind of catchy phrases. But our generation, and when I say our generation, all of us in this room are often slow to actually put feet to our faith. 
Like, so it's easy to talk and proclaim, we're going to do this, we're going to go and we're going to fix the walls, we're going to be a part of kingdom work, but I want us to realize this morning that it's going to take sacrifice, it's going to take us dying, and it's going to take a mentality that says, God, if it kills me, I want to be obedient. If it kills me, I want to be the leader you've called me to be. If it kills me, I want to take the gospel into my school. If it kills me, I want to take the gospel to my team. If it kills me, I want to take the gospel to my family. If it kills me... I want to be obedient. I want to be the kind of leader that brings people out of ruin into light. I want you to be that kind of leader. I want to be that kind of leader. Nehemiah had the boldness to ask when it seems out of place. I'm going to go back to a point I previously mentioned. You have the opportunity this morning and throughout life to go to God as a father as a friend, as a king, as a mighty warrior, you have the opportunity to go to him and say, God, this is what I need, right? Like, like to get real with God. Like it's okay to cry before God. It's okay to be broken before God. It's okay to be humble before God and say, God, this is what I really need, God. I'm at my rope's end, right? Like I've done all I can do, God. And there's no change in the walls, or there's no change in the family, there's no change in the school, there's no change in the, in the team, God, there's no change, God, I've done all I can do. I wonder this morning if you would have the boldness to be like Nehemiah and just stand before the king and say, God, this is what I need. What are you going to do about it? He had the boldness to believe the king was really who the king said he was. We have to have the boldness to believe that God is really who he said he is. Nehemiah knew walking in. Nehemiah knew four months of brokenness or depression that he was walking through. He knew that the king had the ability to fund the trip and rebuild the walls. He knew it. He never acted on it. So many of us walk around knowing how incredible God is, knowing how awesome he is, knowing how forgiving he is, knowing how amazing he is, and we fail to access it for whatever reason. Maybe it's our pride. Maybe it's our, you know, maybe we're reserved. Maybe, you know, we don't want to air our problems out to God or to our accountability partners, whatever your deal is. But there's so many times that we have the knowledge of who God is, but we do not act on the knowledge of who God is. If I say it once, I want to say it a hundred times this morning, your king has all that you need this morning for your entire journey. So many times we come, and and don't get me wrong, in the Christian life there is sacrifice, there is hardship, and I'm not just talking about things. Don't hear things when I say he has all we need. Sometimes we go to him and we'll lay all of our need before him, and you know what he gives? He gives the ability to endure without any of it. He gives the grace to endure without getting anything that we ask for. But he has all you need this morning. I want you to see something else. So, so Nehemiah chapter 1, he's broken. Then verse 1 through 8, he's, he kind of carries the brokenness with him. And the king says, hey man, you're, you're sad. What's going on? And Nehemiah's like, well, the walls are in ruin. And the king's like, well, go do something about it. This is TJ version, right? I'm, I'm condensing it for you. He's like, well, go do something about it. And then Nehemiah's like, okay, cool. Pay for it. And so the king, king strokes a check. And essentially, the king strokes a check, sends him, says, man, all that you need. Let's get this thing done. And I want you to hear this because this is, this is big in the Christian life. Verse 9. Then it came to the governors of the province beyond the river. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letter. Now the king had sent me with officers of the army and horsemen. But Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite. 
servant heard this, and it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. I want you to hear this this morning. Hear this phrase. Sambalit and Tobiah, it displeased them greatly. So is it really possible? I mean, when I think about this, that God is about to put something incredible on display, and there are people standing around that it greatly displeases. And I don't know what it was in, in, in their minds. Was it, well, I mean, the king never gave me a letter to cut down wood to build me a house. You, you know, God never did blah, blah, blah. You know, so I, I wondered, I want you to hear this this morning. The gift of God and the call of God on our lives can ignite fury in the hearts of some. I want, you, I want you to hear this. Please hear this. It can ignite fury in the hearts of some. You think when so many times God calls us something and we begin to set out on a path to be obedient and to follow Christ, we get a burden, we get a call, right? And we're, we're pursuing Christ. And we think in our mind that those around us should rally. They should come around us. And you think we would be celebrated. But even in the church, there are times when God begins to do a work in your life that it ignites fury in other people. And it would be simple just to say that they're probably just lost. But for whatever reason, the enemy loves to use what God is doing in someone else's life to ignite fury sometimes in the hearts of others. And I want you to hear this. This is a principle, and I want you to, man, I want you to grab this. When it comes to serving and leadership, please listen. If you find yourself on a team in life, if you find yourself surrounded with people who cannot celebrate your successes, refuse to acknowledge any victory, and even when they see God doing gospel work in your heart, refuse to celebrate it, refuse to honor it, real simple instruction. Run. <laughs> you hear me? It will happen. If you're a believer long enough, God will begin to stir in your life. He'll, he'll begin to Man, he'll begin to change you. He has this incredible thing about the Holy Spirit. When it gets in us, it just begins to work all kinds of stuff out of us. And it begins to change who we are and how we talk and how we see the world. But there will be people around us. God, You may say, God's leading me to do this or God's leading me to do this. And you'll get a few people that are like, yeah, man, praise God. But I promise you, listen, if you're being obedient to Christ, there will be a naysayer. There will be someone to buffet you, someone sent by the enemy. Or somebody that's just a moron. I'm being honest. And if you're that person, stop being a moron. Listen, I, you say, well, you shouldn't say words like that. I've been that guy. And I remember being a young Christian, and there was a, a, a group of friends. We were about, there was five or six of us, and we were all playing music together. And we were all, like, you know, reading the scriptures and debating really weird theology and old school stuff. And it was just really weird, right? So we're 18, 19 years old. And, and you know, we all kind of grew in different spurts. And somebody would grow in a spurt. And, I mean, I can look back now and see it. And there would be three or four guys that you'd be like, oh, man, that's awesome, you know, woo, woo, you know. But really in your heart, it's like, well, why couldn't that be me? And Christianity sometimes looks like a pageant. You know, everybody on the stage is smiling and kissing each other on the cheek, but, on the cheek, but in reality, at the heart of who they are, everybody wishes they had won, right? Sometimes Christianity becomes a competition kind of like that to where God's growing somebody or God puts a gift in somebody's heart and they're excelling and we look from the outside in. And this may be making you uncomfortable, and if it is this morning, then just join the boat because I'm in uncomfortable waters. 
But we look on and we see someone growing or we see someone excelling. And rather than celebrating them and honoring them and pushing them forward, we begin to pick them apart. A man said a phrase one time. He said, there will be a day in the church where we learn to love someone for who they are rather than stumbling over who they're not. You want our church to flourish? And when I say church, the body of believers, you want it to flourish? You want to see Tifton one to the kingdom of God? Begin to celebrate those around you. And listen, if you're around people that all they do is tear you down when you begin to speak what God's sharing with you, if they're like, yeah, but blah, 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 blah. Yeah, but blah, 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 blah. I don't know if you have any yeah, but people in your life. Surround yourself with people who celebrate the gift of God and the call of God. I'm not asking you to surround yourself with yes men and yes women who just tell you what you want to hear. But if you are surrounded by a team or people, I can't emphasize this enough, and all they do when the gift of God begins to spring to life and that fire begins to burn is to throw water on it, run. It's really that simple. Once you hear these verses, we're going to work through the rest of this chapter and, and, and be done this morning. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days, and then I rose. Verse 11. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I rose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one that I rode on. And I went out to, at night to see by the valley gate and to the dragon spring and, and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed with fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool. And there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall. And I turned back and I entered the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not told the Jews or the priests or the nobles, the officials or the rest who were with me to do the work. But then, I love this, hear this. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the walls of Jerusalem that we may longer suffer derision. I told them of the hand of my God and that had been upon me for good and also the word that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hand for the good work. Listen, Nehemiah observed the rubble. Nehemiah he, he studied where God had put him to do the work. Listen, if you feel a call of God on your life, if you feel like God's kind of put you in a place, husbands, God's put you in a marriage to be a part of the discipleship of your wife. Moms and dads, God's given you the kids that you have so that you can be disciplers of the kids that you have. Observe the area. Learn your kids. Take the time to learn your wife or to learn your husband so that you can invest in their life in such a way that if there are walls that are broken down, you can be a part of building them back up. Do you hear me this morning? Observe your Sunday school class. Be an observer. Don't just go in guns blaze and tell everybody, telling everybody how it should be and how it's going to be. If you do that, you probably fall in line with people I mentioned earlier that start with an M. Take you a minute to get Be an observer like Nehemiah. See where the needs are around you. And then begin to inspire those around you. Listen, there's two things that Nehemiah used that blew me away. He used what God had told him and the permission from the king. He used the words of the king to inspire the people. Not his own opinion. Nehemiah said, hey, this is what, this is what God said. and This is what the king said we could do. And everybody rose to the work. 
What if we begin to pattern our lives in such a way to where what we hear from God and what we read in his word is what we go forward with in life? Not our opinions. Not our one verse that we pull out of context to fit how we like and our own worldview. No, what if we really took the scripture and what we've heard from God and we pushed forward in life and we rallied people to do gospel work? Hear this. 19 and 20, and we're going to wrap up. 19. But when Samuel, I love... These guys never go away, by the way. But when Sembalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite served in Geshem and the Arab, <clears throat> and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and with his servants will rise and build. But you know, have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. I want you to hear this. I love how Nehemiah said, The God of heaven will make us prosper. He heads into his endeavor with incredible confidence because he, know it isn't, he knows it isn't about Nehemiah. I said it last week, and I'll say it a million more times probably in the next few weeks. Can we head into life? Whatever your situation you're walking in, wherever we are right now, can we really have that Pauline mentality? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no, I, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. In the life that I now live, I live in the flesh through the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Can we adopt that Pauline, through the power of the Spirit, adopt that Pauline mentality where we said, hey, this isn't about me. This life, this 20, 30, 50, 70, if the Lord tarries 80, some of you maybe 90 years that you get that, it's just a breath of air, just a vapor. What if we really could face the world having the Word of God, the call of God, and a mentality that says it's not about me. I just want to see the gospel flourish in my family and in my place, wherever your place is. If you're a coach, if you're a teacher, if you're a doctor, if you're a cashier, however you roll, wherever you're at. What if, what if we really could go forward? I'm going to wrap up with a prayer in just a second. But I want to ask you that of your life. Are you surrounded by people who are, who, who are tearing you down? Pray today that God would give you the boldness that God would give you the boldness, man. Some of you maybe just need to sever, sever some ties. Somebody that every time God begins to stir in your life and begins to ignite a fire, they just dump cold water on it. What if you went to them? What if you got the boldness to go to them and say, hey, listen, this is what you're doing to my life. This is what, you know, church isn't just about hearing a cool sermon. It really is about growing together and doing some practical things to make this faith come alive in us through the power of the Spirit. So I'm asking you, would you have the boldness today to observe the area you're in and see the gospel need and meet it? You have hands, you have feet, you have a mouth, you have a checkbook, you have all kinds of things. Survey your area. Observe it like Nehemiah. Find the gospel need and pray to God that he would let you meet it. Let me pray for you this morning. Father God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for loving us Thank you, thank you for giving us the scripture to stand on, to believe in. And God, as we, we look at Nehemiah's life and kind of his, his, his wrestle and his, how he sets out to do kingdom work, Lord, I pray that it would inspire us, that it would call us up to be the men and women, the leaders in our homes, and our family, God, in our, in our society that you've called us to be, Lord, not to be silent or to be passive, but to be very present, God, very loud in the world for the glory and the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, I love you today. Thank you. 
And God, I pray where, God, those in the room that may be convicted, Lord, they, at some point in the sermon, God, Lord, they, their, their heart was just kind of stirred with, oh, man, this applies or that applies. God, I pray that you remind them they can come before you. You're their king. If they need salvation, you're the one who saves. They can come before the king. If they need grace this morning or strength or endurance, they can come to you because you're the king. God, if they have financial needs or emotional brokenness, God, Lord, or or family problems, God, they can come before you this morning because you're the king. God, if it's for a family member or a friend or someone in another state, God, Lord, and they're brokenhearted for them this morning, they can come before you because you're the king. And God, in our own lives, I pray that we remember whatever baggage we're carrying, whatever we're holding on to, we can bring it and drop it at your feet because you're the king. We love you, Jesus. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.